Tonight, I'd like to speak about planting seeds. Planting seeds. One of the one of my favorite lines from from the Buddha that floated through my consciousness during the sitting tonight. That's why I'm sharing it with you. Is whatever one whatever one frequently dwells upon becomes the inclination of the mind. Whatever one frequently dwells upon becomes the inclination of our mind. And this is an obvious reminder that whatever it is that we do with our thoughts, whatever we frequently dwell upon, whatever we do with our speech, whatever actions that we do frequently, these all become the inclinations of our mind. They become the, they are each action of body, speech, and mind is a seed that is planted in the creative field of our life. And it conditions, every seed that's planted conditions the birth or the growth of whatever it is that we are uh, planting. If you plant a seed of kindness, you don't get ill will and anger. Just like you plant an orange seed, you don't get an apple. So this phrase or this passage reminds us to consider every day and hopefully from the moment you get up in the morning till the time that you go to sleep, what seeds are you planting? What What are you frequently dwelling upon? What are you frequently thinking about? What are you frequently saying? And saying, when I say th- saying, I'm also referring to what you're saying to yourself, what you're saying to others. And what do you actually do with your, um, with your bodies? What do you do in your actions? This is uh, all based on the, or seen in the light of the, the context of the Buddha's teaching, anyway, as the reminder that uh, our life has, uh, our actions, our thoughts, our words can have purpose. And at least in the, the Buddha would recommend that you make uh, your, the life purpose to, to find peace, to find freedom, to find happiness. It's all about happiness. Believe it or not, it's not about more suffering. It's about, it's about the end of suffering. It's a reminder, as one of my colleagues is often saying, peace is possible. Peace is possible in this very life. Do you believe me? Do you live your life every day with the reminder that peace is possible? And what are you doing... How are you thinking? What are you saying on behalf of this possibility? Now for most people, 
this even the notion of peace and freedom is just it's just not even part of our consciousness it may be the implicit aim in everything we do and i think it is even the things that we do that cause suffering the implicit aim is to bring ourselves some kind of relief but in es- unless we have some understanding some appreciation of what things or what actions of body speech and mind what lead to peace and what leads away from it we are basically wandering around confused often seeking for peace but doing everything that actually prevents it so the buddha recommended that we first turn our attention turn our consciousness toward understanding things the way they are and he first started out by reminding us basically there's there's many lists in the buddha's teachings but one list is that's a slightly altered version of the five daily reflections is the list from that that somehow morphed in the tibetan tradition uh, to be called the four reminders the first reminder that this time that we have this life that we have is precious it's hard to get here and it's actually kind of easy to lose it it's kind of easy and when i say easy to lose it it's easy to lose touch with this living reality with the preciousness of the moments that we have here now why is it so easy to lose touch lose our life really because our mind tends to be obsessed by compulsive thinking it tends to be obsessed by what's next and what came before and evaluating judging criticizing commenting what about what's happening now and spending a lot of time in hope and expectation for the future all of this is a function of our imagination none of it is the is what we could call our life this is is our mental life we could say but it's often a disconnect from the preciousness of the uh our living experience right here and now before you can start sizing it up when you're really intimate with the immediate felt sense of your body mood sound sight where your senses are wide open where your consciousness is laid bare unfiltered immediate alive this is precious and it's easy to lose now there are many ways that we could talk about this teaching on the preciousness of our birth our preciousness of our life one of the t- more traditional ways is that you could have been born uh, a squirrel you're lucky to be born a human you could be born a barbarian where all you wanted to, all you're thinking about is killing 
or being killed. Or you could be born in the, what are in the cosmology is in the realm of the hungry ghosts. This is a metaphor, but maybe it isn't. But the realm of the hungry ghost is, is a plane of existence, how we can be born into bodies with tiny little mouths and huge stomachs. Insatiable hunger. Can you relate to that? This is one of the ways that we lose the preciousness of our life. Is we are, metaphorically, we are in our minds born into the realm of hungry ghosts. Or we're born into the realm of barbarians. I can't tell you how many revenge fantasies I've had. And, and how I could dwell for a long time. <laughs> Whenever I say the word revenge, I think of my Burmese meditation teacher. <laughs> He was my. He is a great teacher. He reminded me that I was uh, I, my my loving kindness was conditional. <laughs> it was dependent on him liking me. And but our life is really precious, and we shouldn't forget it. And the living moments are precious. How can we, if we appreciate the preciousness of life, how can we live so many miles ahead in our imagination? So many miles behind in the past that is, as one of my teachers called, the the graveyard of memory, the garbage heap of memory, gone, dead and gone. Even though it's a wonderful capacity to be able to think of past and future and project these and create these in our mind, to the excessive amount that we dwell in thoughts of past and future, uh, so much colors our present experience and blinds us to the, the beauty and uh, richness and immediacy that is available even when our situation is not very easy. So easy to miss. So the first recommendation before we plant the seeds of wholesome action, hopefully the engine behind planting wise seeds is to appreciate the preciousness of our life, the fact of impermanence, that everything that arises has the nature to pass away, change and impermanence, that we talk about this every week. It's maybe one of my top, uh, top, my top recollections, daily recollections. I think I do think about the fact of sickness, old age, and death every day. And this was a recommendation, not to be morbid about it, but to let it be the cause of appreciating what I'm doing and, and, uh, and that I can't just take this life for granted because it will pass and everything I hold near and, dear, near and dear, I will have to relinquish, let go of. So am I clinging to the impermanent? Is if I am, I'm going to get not only a little rope burn, but I'm going to suffer a lot. So to reflect every day on impermanence, remind yourself that everything, that this what job you're doing now will end, and you're going to want to reflect on the job that you did and say, I did it well. And every relationship you have, everybody's eyes you look into, everyone's eyes who you look away from, this is the opportunity, either lover or not. I'm saying this partly metaphorically. But you want to be able to look back 
and say, did I love well? Did I love? Did I let my, did I hide away in fear and dullness? Or did I just say, I love you, I love you, I love you to everywhere I could? Whether it was the, the plants, the animals, or the other humans, or the earth. Or, this is, this is uh, one of the reflections on impermanence. The third reflection is that everything, absolutely everything, everything that you uh, do or think or say, every single action of body, speech, and mind, produces a result. Everything. There's nothing that does not leave a residue or produce a result. I started with this this evening. This is the, hopefully the positive or the, the inspiring law of karma. This is not the, the more pop karma where uh, if you... If you're having a hard time, it means you must have done something bad in a previous lifetime. All it's not about it's not about uh, uh, superstition. It's about understanding that everything, just through your own experience, you can see that when I in, when I incline toward goodwill, I I feel better. When I hang out with good friends, I feel better. When I put things in my body that are unhealthy, I don't feel so good. When I think certain thoughts that are self-critical, any of you ever have any of those? Self-blaming, self-judging, I feel terrible. This is a, what we would call a karmic fruit that you can understand in real time that whatever you frequently dwell upon becomes the inclination of your heart and mind. And this is true for both wholesome actions, things that lead to more patience, more generosity, more kindness, more clarity, more calm, more wisdom, more joy, more happiness. There are actions that help us incline in that way. And then there are actions that do the opposite. If we are practicing what the Buddha called the three poisons, if you're practicing your mind frequently dwelling upon wanting what you don't have or not wanting what you do have? How many of us do that every day? Of course, this is our conditioning. I'm speaking about myself. I'm speaking about us. But there's a fruit to that. Greed, hatred, aversion, greed and aversion. And then delusion. If I'm dwelling all day in the story of me, all day in the construction project of the better me, even though that's a, that comes from an innocent place of wanting to be happy, but if I spend all day there, I start feeling there's a result to that. I feel more separate. If I spend all day, on the other hand, taking appropriate self-care, practicing being a good friend to myself, appropriate self-care, but also dwelling upon the fact that I don't exist apart from everyone who's in my life. And everything I say to somebody, every, every person that I meet, is affected by the quality of my being, that my, that my um, 
my thoughts start inclining a little bit more toward being of benefit or making sure that I'm not harming others, I'm more likely to experience happiness, more happiness. I may not feel happy when I do an inventory of all the past harm that I've caused myself or another, but an honest inventory will hopefully, seen with the, with the eye of good intentions, it will be the cause of me to turn my life toward planting seeds that are, that are more uh, helpful. So if we, every day, if we did nothing but practice forgiveness, that would be a, or practice gratitude. Maybe next, this week, I'll talk about a few things that you can do this week and see whether it works or not. See if every day you practice a little forgiveness. If you practice forgiveness, this is just a simple, one of the traditional methods is to reflect, if I've harmed anyone, knowingly or unknowingly, by my thoughts or words or actions, maybe even do it right now as I say it, just reflect, open your mind's eye, your heart to your actions during this lifetime, during this day, during this week. If I have harmed anyone through my thoughts or words or actions, what I've said or didn't say, did or didn't do, uh, I ask for forgiveness. May I be forgiven. If anyone has harmed me, if I've felt harmed by anyone through their thoughts or words or actions, something they said or didn't say, did or didn't do, to the best of my ability at this time, I forgive them. Last but not least, if I have harmed myself in any way, knowingly or unknowingly, what I've said or didn't say, did or didn't do, I forgive myself as much as I'm able to at this time. Notice the impact of this intention, of planting the seed of intention. You do this every day and it, it will have a result. Practicing gratitude, a nice little balance for the greed and hatred in the mind. Greed and aversion, wanting what I don't have and not wanting what I do have. It's to reflect on one, one thing every day, a few things every day. What am I grateful for? Let's do that for a moment. What am I grateful for? It's got to be one thing I'm grateful for. What am I grateful for? While we're in the vein of planting seeds, clearly I think the most one of the most important, two of the most important seeds that we can plant every day to counteract the enormous level of self-judgment, self-hatred, self-loathing, all of that, is to plant the seeds of friendliness toward ourselves and toward each other. 
So to inwardly, even right now, wish yourself well. May I be happy. You know you want to be happy, so wish yourself that. May I be happy and peaceful. And if you can, don't wait for this. Let it, let that be awakened right now. Because these are, whenever I say these words, happiness and peace, they're not, they're not a result of what you, um, these are, we can progressively move our life in this direction, but these are also unconditional qualities. What we're actually doing is we're, we're reminding ourselves of these qualities. So happiness and peace. It's a matter of turning toward this. May I feel safe and protected. Safe. From inner harm and outer harm. It's a very dear wish for oneself. It's an act of love in itself to set that intention. May I feel healthy and strong. As healthy and strong as I can be given the limitations of my body. Again, this is, a, this is friendly. This is a goodwill. And may I have ease and a sense of well-being. Ease of well-being. May I accept myself as I am. Now, you may not feel anything right now, but if you kept planting that seed of goodwill, it will become a force a force of wholesome intentions in your heart and mind. And this is where practice is very helpful. See, I know every person here in this immediate present moment, if you don't look back and you don't look ahead and you let yourself sink into that immediacy, and you free yourself momentarily from any idea of past or future, any idea of yourself, you will touch this. You will touch the, you will know directly the, uh, the source of all of those wholesome qualities. That, that all are born of, of openness. All are born of the open heart of our own consciousness. All these qualities flow from a consciousness that's open. So we can all get a glimpse in a moment of our lives uncluttered by memories and hopes, uncluttered by the, at least momentarily, by the effects of our past action. We can get a glimpse of of a natural freedom that's ever available and ever present. But this is this moment. And if you just did nothing but just dwell in openness all day long, you wouldn't need to say phrases of goodwill. You would naturally act in ways that are kind and compassionate to yourself and others. That's what flows from an awakened or an open consciousness. So because we do not dwell all the time in this natural wakefulness and this natural purity we need to remind ourselves we need to plant seeds 
We need to keep dropping, dropping little drops of purity into the the bucket of our consciousness until we're we stop for we don't forget anymore we don't go out of ourselves in search we don't miss this life we start dwelling every day with an appreciation of this precious human birth start living every day with an understanding of impermanence and we learn to let go we live every day with an understanding and a care and a clarity about what we're saying and what we're doing, what we're thinking. And we live every day with full understanding that to live any other way is, is foolish, is suffering. To live any other way than completely conscious and open-hearted is insane. When we have this within our our mind stream, this capacity to be free, to have peace. To miss this would be such a shame. And that's why we practice. So just put very simply... The Buddha put it very simply, succinctly, said there are eight things that you need to focus on. First, you need to focus on having that understanding, that that basis of those four reminders that I just shared. I only shared three of them, but the preciousness of our life, fact of impermanence, the fact of karma. Fourth one is the defects of getting caught in the loop of what he called the samsaric loop, where you just endlessly, endlessly on the treadmill of finding happiness, looking for happiness and finding only misery. And said, to get off of this loop, remember the idea is to get off of the wheel. To get off of this wheel, we have to start with the understanding that life is stressful, The cause of stress is the continual uh, grasping at, at the things that you like and clinging and averting, trying to get rid of the things that you don't like. This actually keeps us locked into a state of dissatisfaction. That there is an end to that stress and dissatisfaction and that comes through love and attention. And you need to realize this. And then there's this path. So first, with wise understanding, you, you understand that there's, there's suffering in life, there's a cause for it, there's an end to it, and then there's a path. And out of that, you, he encouraged you to set wise intentions. And he called it wise intention or right intention. He said the first, and this basically was broken into three kinds of intentions. The intention for renunciation, which means renouncing the causes of suffering. It means learning how to find sufficiency in things as they are, not being so caught in the excessive uh, consumption and 
just the addictive mind that just plays itself out over and over in so many different ways. So to practice a, the joy of renunciation, of finding the joy of simplicity, the joy of renouncing that which, um, which causes harm in your life. So the intention of renunciation, the intention of goodwill, so planting all those seeds of goodwill, the intention to not cause harm to yourself or others. So that's the, that's what the engine, the intention to not cause harm. And from that intention flows what the Buddha called wise action that has three parts. Wise speech. So this is a good practice for this week too. Wise speech means to tell the truth to yourself, to others. Say what's true to others. Say what's useful also to yourself. What is true and what's useful. When you speak, speak. Say what is true, useful, timely, and for yours or another's benefit. Not to cause harm. And just to throw one of the more challenging elements of wise speech into the equation, don't gossip. And you know, those of you who practice this, know that 90% of your speech will fall away. <laughs> just, to put it, just to put it really simply, at least make it a practice first to be conscious of, but then hopefully to eliminate speaking about third parties about other other people. It's really, really challenging. But that's why it's a practice. It's a it's a purification practice. So practicing wise speech and then practicing wise action. And basically wise action is not killing, not stealing, not being exploitive in our sexual relationships, not taking intoxicants to the point of heedlessness because they really cloud our hearts and minds. They cause so much suffering. Not, as, not based on a should, but from your own experience recognizing the felt experience of the suffering that they cause in yours and others' lives. And it's not adopting a view, oh, this is bad, don't do this. It's about looking at these areas, bringing attention, bringing that intention for harmlessness, bringing that intention for renunciation, bringing that intention to goodwill to bear on your actions. Am I doing anything in my life that is causing harm to me or anybody else? And don't, don't, don't turn it into a religion. Turn it into a living practice every day. And then it's Someone came up to me earlier today and said, you know, I always thought about these are these shoulds. I shouldn't be arrogant. I shouldn't be greedy. I shouldn't be grumpy. You know, all the things. And then he realized he got off of that and just felt what it was like to be arrogant and greedy and grumpy. He said, I saw it was really, really unpleasant. And then you don't have to read it in a book somewhere. Your own insight knowledge becomes the cause of letting go of planting those wholesome seeds. So just put a light on your speech, put a light on your use of intoxicants, you put a light on your sexual relationships, uh, put a light on your relationship to uh, others' property, 
to, you know, not steal. Last, in terms of wise action, to, and this, is, this one is a deep kind of inquiry. It's the, this is the field of, of study or attention or inquiry called wise livelihood, right livelihood. And loosely, it means not engaging in livelihoods that cause suffering. Weapons, intoxicants, etc. But you have to look at whether the livelihood you're engaging is causing you suffering. Whether you, what's your motivation for doing it? Uh, is, are you doing it in a way that's, that's adding to your misery? Are there ways that you can do it that bring a sense of well-being? So ex- in evaluating, looking at the whole realm of livelihood, because we spend so much of our lives working, that it can be a source of great awakening and practice, or it can be one that continually plants the seeds of misery. Again, this is not to adopt the view and then then quit your job tomorrow. You to really see what happens at work for me. How is what's my relationship? And is this I, every job is a hot fire from time to time? No matter even if it's the thing that you love to do most in the world. But if it's a hot fire, doesn't mean you have to leave it. May mean you work on it a little bit. But if you, but if it's such a hot fire that you can't find relief in the middle of it, you can't maintain any balance. Then you may have to consider changing channels or jobs in this case. So that's the action part, the part that's really relevant to our lives. But what really supports wise action, wise speech, wise livelihood is a mind and heart that is well-trained to be here, to be appreciating that preciousness of our life. And in order to have that, because we are untrained, even though our natural state is present, our natural state is immediate, alive, open, is love, even though that's our natural state, our minds are trained to be deluded, unconscious, obsessed with what's next. And so we need wise effort. We need to apply some effort to stay here, to remain undistracted, to stay awake. And we need to not make too much effort that we put ourselves in the prison of presentness, nor too little effort that we just fall into dullness and space out. We need to continually be tuning the strings, not too tight, not too loose, but continually working with our energy system, recovering our vital energy, getting enough sleep, getting enough exercise, eating well. All those things are all about wise effort. And this wise effort is used in the surface of learning to have our mind in the same location of our body to have this sense of calm abiding, a collectedness, a steadiness, a capacity to have our mind stay at one point, stay right where we are, and be able to relax instead of having to hold tight or, or resist, to be able to just be here. And we call that wise concentration. And then last but not least... Part of the mental training is to be 
bring that quality of clear, of, of mindfulness and clear comprehension to whatever we're doing. When we're walking, that we know we're walking. When we're eating, we know we're eating. When we're seeing, we know we're seeing, hearing, hearing, that we're actually there for it. We're here for it. And that we're, we're not missing this life. That's mindfulness. Of course we get absorbed in our tasks. There's work mind, there's, there's spacing out. All that happens. But we can enhance our life. We can find a, a tremendous healing force in our mind stream called mindfulness if we cultivate it. Mindfulness, concentration, energy, or effort. you do all these things moment by moment if you think about all that you have to do you may get overwhelmed but if you realize that it's fulfilled by every moment of just taking care of this moment because you can't take care of the last one it's gone can't take care of the next one it hasn't happened but can you can you be mindful can you be here can you be kind in this moment how hard is that it may be hard some moments But there's a lot of moments, a lot of moments, and they're every one of them, just getting back to the idea of planting seeds, every moment is a creative field, is a field of creative possibility, is empty, open. It is completely undefined, and how it goes depends on what seed you plant. More mindful, the more likely you're going to plant some good seeds. So please, as one of my favorite teachers, Nosho Ken says, please be mindful. <laughs> that simple. Please be mindful. Mindfulness is the, is the, um, the great protector. And we're crazy enough that we need to practice it. I don't have it with me. Well, fortunately, this mindfulness is very natural. And I guess I'll end with a beautiful passage from the a Tibetan text about our mind. It says, when left to itself, ordinary mind is fresh and naked. If observed, it is a vivid clarity. That means that you have within you, naturally, vivid clarity. Without anything to see. This is the nature of your mind. A direct awareness, sharp and awake. Possessing no existence, this awareness. It's empty and pure. A clear openness of luminosity and openness. That's you. Not I'm this or that. I'm awake. That's you. It is not permanent since it doesn't exist at all. It is not nothingness since it's vividly clear and awake. That's you. It's not oneness since many things are are known. It is not somewhere else. It is your own awareness itself. The face of this primordial protector dwelling in your heart can be directly pre- perceived in this very instant. Never be separated from it, children of my heart. 
If you want to find something greater than this in another place, it's like going off searching for footprints, although the elephant is right there. You may scan the entire 3,000-fold universe, but it is impossible that you will find more than the mere name of Buddha. Rest in your natural awareness. Train your natural awareness. As my teacher Punjaji said, stay where you are. That's a rare thing to think of. (laughs) Stay where you are. It sounds odd in this culture. Stay where you are. (laughs) It's all about being different, getting somewhere, becoming someone, being different than you are. I know that if you really, right where you are, you, you will... You know your own okayness, your own beauty. So don't miss it. Never be apart from it, as this passage says. This protector within your heart. Just be aware. Be awareness itself. Let's sit for a moment. May all beings know that peace is possible in this very life. May all beings know that peace is you. May all beings live with ease. And may our practice, our work, all of our actions be dedicated today and every day to the welfare and benefit of all beings. May all beings be liberated. Okay, thank you for listening. Just a reminder, as usual. Oh, wait, I have one, one announcement that's unrelated to our group.